Welcome to a brand new episode of The Hedge, where we give you the info you need to dominate your fantasy lineups and basketball bets. I'm your host, Steve Inman, and I'm happy to say today we'll be talking to Mike Barner, the game day's own fantasy writer. Mike, how are you? Thanks for coming on. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Mike is one of our basketball writers here on the game day and is at Roto Mike Barner on Twitter. And Mike, I want to get right into it with you. You're somebody who knows the NBA prop bet game pretty well. I've used your picks a few times in the last couple of weeks. And here on The Hedge, we're trying to teach our listeners a few different things. They could pick up a new tip or two from experts such as yourself. So my long-winded question here is, what goes into your thought process when making uh, prop bets on the NBA? Yeah, there's a lot of things that go into mine. Uh, first and foremost, I only like to bet overs. Uh, it's it, it, we're supposed to have fun while we're betting. Obviously, we're doing it to make money, but we want to have fun too. And there is no fun in rooting for unders. Um, so the first thing I like to do is I, I mainly just try to focus on overs, uh, just because that tends to be more enjoyable while you're watching the game. Uh, and then next, there's a lot of advanced stats that you can use to your advantage uh, to help find the right props and, and exploit the the books. Uh, what I like to do is I like to attack bad defensive teams and teams that play at a fast pace. So as, as a good example, of that is the, the Washington Wizards. Uh, they've played at the fastest pace in the league and they have the third worst defensive rating. So they're giving you a lot, a lot of opportunities to rack up points playing at such a fast pace. And they also struggle defensively. So they're giving you an opportunity to rack up more points that way too. Also, when you're looking at pace, it's not just points more opportunities for rebounds and assists as well. So those are two advanced stats that you want to keep an eye on when you're looking through the different possibilities. Also, you want to look for players who play a lot of minutes and have a high usage rate. Unlike real-life basketball, when it comes to prop bettings, depth is not your friend. Uh, you don't want to go uh, pursuing teams that have good depth because that could, one, uh, deflate a player's playing time, and two, give them fewer opportunities to score. So a couple of guys like that, you want to target guys like Jeremy Grant. Pistons are awful. They have bad depth. He plays a ton. He shoots a ton. Perfect. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, same thing for the Thunder. Their depth is bad. He shoots a lot. Uh, he also has a lot of rebounds and assists. So if you're looking at multi-category props for him, points, rebounds, plus assists, he's usually an appealing one for there too. Um, finally, I, you, you mentioned, you know, looking at hot streaks, players who get hot and cold. Uh, I do look at recent game logs to an extent, uh, but that's just to see if players are either slumping really bad or on some sort of an insane heater. You don't want to take the over on a points prop for, say, like Kelly Oubre Jr. when he was thir shooting 13% from behind the arc earlier in the season. Uh, you can shoot yourself in the foot pretty quickly there. So those are the few things I like to keep an eye out on when I'm looking through different options in the morning. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, who wants to bet unders? That's not fun. You're rooting for people <laughs> to miss shots all night. That sounds so boring to me. Uh, I think those are all great things. I never really looked at pace, and that's definitely something I'm going to do going forward. I mean, obviously, you're looking for for guys who are having limited depth. Like, I've already hit on uh, on Grant a couple of times this season. It's the one prop bet that really has not had me sweating this year so far. So that's, <laughs> yeah, that's he's been, been great. Fun. He's been great. And it's, you know, if you have him in fantasy, you probably got him in the mid-rounds, and he's not a mid-rounder next year for sure. He's going to go a lot higher than that. And we'll see how that goes, especially with, you know, Blake Griffin, who has not looked like himself in the last year plus, you know, do they find a trade partner for him? Do they, you know, eventually start giving him less minutes? It could, it could actually make Grant a bigger workload at some point in the year, which didn't even seem possible, you know, when he was in Denver. 
Yeah, he's definitely an ideal situation now. I mean, that Denver team was one of the deepest in the league last year. And now the situation, obviously he was going to be one of the more prominent players on the Pistons. And then Griffin and Derek Rose are both not playing on back-to-back games. It seems like Rose is probably going to be out of there before Griffin, just because he's got an easier contract. Um, you know, there've already been rumors about Tom Thibodeau on him again. You got to love Thibodeau going after his former Bulls guys. I mean, he just can't resist. I mean, they're going to bring Noah back at some point too. He's going to come out of retirement and the Knicks are already paying Noah anyway. So you might as well uh, bring the whole band back together and see if you can bring off a 41 season. I honestly thought if Thibodeau was coaching any team other than the Knicks, I think he would have brought back Noah. I just think that that Noah situation with the Knicks ended so badly. It's just, there was no room for him to come back, but any other team, I think there would have been a chance. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a huge Nick fan, and when I heard uh, Derek Rose could be coming back to the Garden, Ugh. and you you also could be trading assets to do it. All I think about is when he went AWOL against this game against the Pelicans at the Garden, and I think the Knicks lost by like 30 on that night, and they were like, no one knows where Rose is. We hope he's okay. And, you know, now they're thinking about bringing him back a couple of years older. The jump shot still hasn't improved, and uh, that's, that's where my Knicks are at right now. <laughs> Terrible. Give quickly the minutes. They don't need Rose. Yeah, but you mentioned the Wizards. I want to get to that really quick. The Washington Wizards have one of the best players in the NBA, Bradley Beal. They're 3-10 and 10 on the season. Things are not going well, obviously. And the concerning part is that Beal is playing out of his mind. He's averaging 36 a game in their losses this year. He's getting no help at all. I think the other day he had 47 against the Pelicans in a loss. And I want to know, is this situation salvageable? Can they form a competitive team around Bradley Beal, or are they going to have to trade him? It feels like they're going to have to trade him. He scored 47 of their 106 points and they lost by 18 points. I mean, you see him on the bench after these games. It was the same thing uh, when they lost to the Rockets the other night too. He looks so dejected after the game. The guy is incredible. He can get his shot whenever he wants from wherever on the floor. I just don't think it's going to work out. They're too far away from being one of the competitive teams in the Eastern conference. So I think, the next question is, is where does he get traded to? I think my favorite spot is heat, the Heat simply because they have young assets that would be appealing to the Wizards and they're right on the cusp of winning. So he'd be happy going there. They'd be happy getting some young assets in return. Uh, they, the Heat also have some bloated contracts of some veterans that they could shift over to make it work from a cap perspective. But I, I think that's my most appealing uh, destination would be the Heat. Yeah, I mean, Beal is an unbelievable player, and he has made the point, I want to stay in Washington, I want to stay in Washington, but he's owed $35 million next year, and then he has a player option the year after that. So he's got a year and a half under control with the Wizards. You re- If you're the Wizards, you can't really bank on him staying with the way things are going. I don't know. I don't think they can even allow, you know, I don't think they could even do another contract extension with him at this moment right now, even if he wanted to. So I think you got to, you got to pull the trigger. You got to move him at this trade deadline. You're going to have, you know, two full postseasons of Bradley Beal before he could become a free agent. So I would think Washington can get a pretty big return. Obviously the heat are an amazing trade partner for them. Tyler hero, you know, Duncan Robinson, a bunch of picks, but that's the, that's the easy answer. Everyone's talking about the Miami heat. I want to talk about other teams that really are sneakily under the radar who could put together a pretty good package. And I want to start with new Orleans because you, you, it's a really young team that doesn't seem to fit together. The, the, 
they scream, I need shooters. And he is the greatest shooter in the game other than, you know, who could be gettable. And so I really like the idea of trying to find a way to make that work. Yeah, that, that's a good idea. They, you wouldn't think that the Pelicans would have a hard time scoring with, with Zion and Brandon Ingram, but they do. They have plenty of offensive problems. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, uh, uh, he's washed. I mean, he, he doesn't look good. He, he doesn't fit playing alongside Lonzo ball. They're already talking about trying to trade ball, which makes sense uh, because he's getting close to his restricted free agency. And they have a couple of young guards behind him. Uh, I, I would love to see Beal go to the Pelicans. That would be a, a great spot for him and a great addition to the Pelicans. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I would see a scenario where they could trade Bledsoe and Ball somewhere else and try to carve out a role for Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's been very good in limited minutes this year. I would think even if they don't get Bradley Beal, they would still try to move both those guys by the deadline at some point. They also have a pretty dismal record. So the question is, do you want to go take on a guy in Beal who has only got a year and a half under contract when you're not really ready to win? I think it still could make sense. It's something that uh, would definitely interest me. Denver's another one, you know, Jokic, Murray, Beal. The question is, do they pull the trigger finally and trade Porter? That's to me, that's probably the best player. The, the wizards could get back in a deal unless Tyler heroes on the table. And then, you know, Porter hero, that's kind of a, a debate amongst itself. But I think those three teams make the most sense from a return that the wizards could get back. Yeah, the, the Nuggets are definitely a team that has a lot of depth. I mean, Porter, like you said, would be an extremely appealing player to get back in that return. You know, another guy, Monte Morris, he's kind of an underrated. He's he stuck behind Murray, but he's he plays really well in that limited role off the bench. And whenever Murray's out, he steps up and and plays really well. I, I don't I don't think the Nuggets would do that uh, simply because I think they like the young core that they built. And they talk a lot about um how these guys have all played together for so long and they all seem to really enjoy that. I, I don't think they do. I like, I, like you said, I agree. I think that'd be a great spot. I just, I think that would be a long shot. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with you. Monty Morris is a guy who they just got under a pretty cheap long-term deal over the summer. That's, you know, that's not something to sneeze at right there, but at some point you have a really good team when are you going to try to go for it? Because it's clear to me that they don't have enough right now to say we could beat the Lakers. Bradley Beal as a top five shooting guard could put them in that position. Yeah, that would be, that would be pretty crazy. Those games would be really fun to watch. I mean, like you said, they obviously have to give up Porter uh, and some other other guys for that, but man, that would be, that would be fun to watch. Definitely something to keep an eye on there with uh, those Western conference contenders. Another Western conference contender. I want to talk about the Utah jazz. The jazz have not gotten a lot of love the last couple of years. They're really kind of thought of as the team that Shaq likes to diss, whether it's Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and you know, they have the new ownership in place and that ownership. The first thing he does is just lock up their core that he brings, you know, gives Mitchell his long-term extension, Gobert his long-term extension. Clarkson got a pretty big deal that I was like, I don't know about this one. And all of a sudden he's looking like a six man of the year candidate right now. Is this team a contender? Is this team a team that could challenge the Lakers out West right now? They're plus 2000 to win the whole thing. Is that a bet that people should be keeping up, you know, an eye on? I wouldn't. Um, 
I think they're a great team. They're going to be a great regular season team. They've they've built some quality depth. Having a guy like Joe Ingles come off the bench, I mean, obviously you've got Clarkson battling for the sixth man of the year, like you said, but having a guy like Joe Ingles there too is is really big to step up. I think they've pretty much had everything go right for them out of the gate. Mike Connolly Jr. has a history of problems with injuries, and he's been healthy out of the gate. Clarkson's shooting over his head in terms of his career field goal percentage compared to this season. Everything has gone over for them pretty well. I think beating LeBron James uh, over the course of a seven-game series is a completely different story. Yes, those odds are good, uh, which would make you think if you're going to take a long shot bet, they might be one of them. If I'm taking long shot bets uh, to win it all, I would rather go over to the Eastern Conference just because I think more things are up in the air in the East. I don't think that the, the Bucks are the same kind of dominant team that the Lakers are. And I also don't think that this Nets situation uh, is going to pan out the way that the Nets hope that it will. I, I think... If they're going to win with those three, I don't think it's going to be this season with everything that's going on with with COVID and and throwing these guys together during the season is going to be a bit of an issue. Next year, if they get Dinwiddie back, then it's a whole different story. They've got much more improved depth. So if I'm going to go, I would actually take a long shot bet on the Sixers uh, at plus 1600. They last season were one of the most dominant teams in the league at home. They're doing the same thing this season. They just beat the Lakers at home the other night. That was big. First road loss for the Lakers of the season. Uh, they've added some key shooters in Seth Curry and Danny Green, which is big. We all know that Ben Simmons is not much of a shooter. They can stretch the floor now. So if I'm taking a long shot bet, I'm going to the Eastern Conference and going with the Sixers at plus 1600. Yeah, I love that, especially with the way Tobias Harris is playing. It looks like that contract was going to be an albatross contract. How do you move that kind of guy? And now all of a sudden it's like, hey, they have a pretty nice big three with some shooters around them, Seth Curry, Danny Green. So I really like that bet. And while I think the Nets and the Bucks are teams that could contend with them, they do have holes. So I wouldn't take them at, you know, harder odds to convert on when you have the Sixers, as you said, at plus 1600, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, you could see, I mean, if you just step back and take a second, think about it, you could see the jazz losing to a number of different teams in the West. Obviously there's the Lakers. I could see the Clippers giving them a very difficult time. Same thing with the Nuggets. The Mavericks could ease and pose problems, especially if the Mavericks, you know, maybe they make a trade. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to get involved with Bradley Beal too. I mean, can you imagine putting him alongside they have the assets to go do that though? I mean, like maybe you throw Porzingis back, that would be something, uh, but, you know, they, their draft picks are going to the Knicks. They don't really have another young player that I would think the Wizards would be interested in unless you're talking about a Porzingis Beal swap. Yeah, I was looking at them okay. uh, when I was getting ready to do the show today, trying to figure out the best fit for them. It'd have to be some combination of like Josh Richardson uh, and, the, you know, their promising early second round pick, I believe, was uh, Tyler uh, Terry. Uh, Tyrell Terry, he's someone that's promising, but I don't like if, if the heat got involved, obviously the Mavericks don't have anything near it, but I think there's a lot of different teams that could knock out the jazz. I think there's only a few teams in the East that could knock out the Sixers. So I'd rather take, I, I think this, the Eastern conference is much more wide open than the West. I think that the Lakers are going to repeat they just have so much with LeBron and adding Schroeder is, is huge. And they've just improved their team so much, which you don't often see from the incoming champion to make such big improvements like that. But I'd rather take a chance on the Sixers over the Jazz. 
Let's uh, let's do one more thing before we wrap it up here. I missed it before with the Washington Wizards. Russell Westbrook, he's one of they're one in eight when he plays this year. And from a fantasy perspective, he has not been getting it done. You know, he's never been an efficient player, obviously, as you know, Mike, but he's been way worse. And is this a guy if you own him right now? Is this a guy you're trying to sell low on thinking the injuries could continue or things could get worse? Or is this a guy you'd be trying to go buy and think, hey, this is a guy I could really go out and get more value of as the season goes on. Yeah. Westbrook is one of the players that is impacted most by what kind of league you play in. If you're in a points league, he's great. You don't have to care about him shooting 37% from the field or tanking your free throw percentage. He's a great source for points, rebounds, and assists, and that's all we worry about. So in a points league, he's someone that I'd hold on to because I think his his value is probably at one of its lowest points right now, um, simply because he's struggling a little bit out of the gate. Uh, he's had the injury issues. So I would hold on to him in a points league. In a rotisserie league, He's tanking your categories. He's he he's tanking your field goal and your free throw shooting percentages, because um, he's a high. Not only does he shoot terribly in those percentages, but he's high volume in both areas. So it's a double edged sword there that he's really hurting you. So if, if I'm in a rotisserie league, I'm definitely shopping him right now. If you have to trade him at a discount, I would trade him at a discount. If you can get someone who just looks at the name Russell Westbrook and remembers the guy that's a nightly triple double. I would try and trade him at this point if you're in a rotisserie league. That is great to know right there. Keep that in mind, people, with your Russell Westbrook trades. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show here on The Hedge. And is there anything else you want to tell us about what you're working on right now? Yeah, thanks for having me on again. I really appreciate it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Roto Mike Barner. And then every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I've got my favorite player props coming to you on the game day. So be sure to check those out. Thanks again to Mike Barner. We're going to have to get him back on the show very soon. My fantasy teams could always use his expertise. But before we wrap up the show, I want to talk about some of the award races at the quarterway mark of the NBA season. The closest race right now is MVP with LeBron James suddenly out in front at plus 400. He wasn't really the front runner in MVP until a game against the Cavs this week, where basically he went off in the fourth quarter after a Cavs front office member seemed to get a little too much delight in him missing a shot. Right now, he's a four-time MVP, as you guys know, and the narrative in this award is you don't really give it to a guy who's won it multiple times. LeBron, obviously, has been the best player in the NBA for almost two decades now, and he's only got his four MVPs. I question whether he can actually win this award, as last year he had the better had a better year. He was leading the league in assists. The assists are down slightly. The points and the rebounds and the, the shooting is all pretty much the same. So can he actually win this award when he had a better year last year and didn't win i'm not so sure i probably would not touch this award before the season i picked luka Doncic, and right now i wouldn't take him either because the mavs are under 500 you really need a guy who is a, a top three four seed like a lebron but somebody who hasn't won before kevin durant another name that could make sense but now he's got two superstars on his team are people really going to vote for him now joel Embiid's another guy who makes a lot of sense but are you going to give it to a center? It's a four horse race between those four guys. And to me, they all have some kind of warts in their MVP case. And again, it's a narrative award. It's not who has the best stats. It's who's the best stats and the best story. So I wouldn't touch that one at this moment at the quarterway mark in the season. Six man is similar in that it's so early to tell who's going to stay on the bench all season. But if things go the way they are right now, I'm going to go with Chris Boucher at plus 700. Boucher is averaging about 14 and six in 23 minutes a game. 
He's going to have to increase his minutes per game to get this award. And he's going to have to stay on the bench. That's the one I question here because the center position in Toronto has been a mess since they let Serge Ibaka and Marcus Salgo over the, uh, over the off season here. They haven't really gotten a lot out of Baines, you know, Pascal Siakam needs help in that front court. I wonder if they're going to make the switch to Boucher sometime in the middle of the season. If they don't, I would go with him. I think he's got great odds here at plus 700, as I said, on points bet. And Boucher has been just unbelievable on both ends of the floor. He's been, you know, averaging over two blocks a game as well. And I really think he's been the best bargain off-season guy of anybody. He signed a two-year, $14 million deal with the Raptors over the off-season. Jordan Clarkson here is the heavy favorite at minus 125, but where's the fun in that? Uh, for most improved, Jeremy Grant and Christian Wood both are excellent candidates. They're both the favorites at plus 150. I really think you can go with either of those guys. They both have excellent stories. Again, the narrative here. Uh, Jeremy Grant's a guy who's been a role player in his career, and then all of a sudden... He gets to uh, Detroit. He takes a similar deal from Detroit compared to contender Denver just because he wanted to have a bigger role in the offense. And Grant has achieved that and more. He's been a huge surprise this season, but the Pistons are only 5-14. and 14. So are people going to think these are garbage points and garbage stats he's putting up? I'm not so sure. I would probably go with Wood here because I think – He's a guy who's going to be on a team that's a little more competitive. They might be closer to 500. He's putting up the numbers. He's also got a great story. He's been on many different teams. He's gone overseas. And I really believe he's a guy who could win this award most improved at plus 150 on points bet. That's going to do it for us here on The Hedge, episode two in the books. Thank you so much for watching and listening and keep it locked in here on the game day.